Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. And this is going to be about continuous glucose monitors. Take a listen to our monthly CE, and we hope you enjoy it. And next week, we'll get back into a little bit more normal, although not totally normal. We have a little bit of a surprise for you guys next week. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode about continuous glucose monitors. And uh, enjoy. All right. Bye, guys. right? So CGM is continuous glucose monitor. So that's different than our traditional glucometer we think of. Um, a, a, a continuous glucose monitor is it's a wearable device. The current ones that we have can be worn up to about two weeks. Um, but the great thing is that means <laughs> that we no longer have to do those 12 hour in-house glucose curves that none of our patients appreciate. I think I know one animal who's like, I don't care, not a big deal, but every, every other animal, you know, being in the hospital, being away from home stresses them out. So they, you know, that affects our, our curve numbers anyways, not only that, but ideally we would have a 24 hour curve and, and that's just not realistic in, in a veterinary setting. So when is this, um, applicable to our patients? When should we be applying these? obviously diabetic patients, um, or patients that you suspect might be diabetic. Uh, we know all know those cats that will come in with a high blood sugar, but you got to kind of confirm whether or not it remains high. Um, newly diagnosed diabetics, difficult to control diabetics. And then of course, hospitalized diabetics, because we reduce the number of pokes that we give these guys. Um, and it really helps us to hone in our fluid therapy when, when these guys have them on. So, uh, we created two episodes on the pat. Well, actually three, I think we did three, yeah. three episodes on the podcast, um, about diabetes. So there was, um, part one and part two of diabetes, too much of a sweet thing. And then there was the DKA, uh, episode that we did. And I, I think we mentioned CGMs during the DKA episode. Yeah, we did. Um, so if you want to know more like anatomy and physiology with diabetes, you can definitely check out those episodes. Um, we, we go into pretty good depth, um, on them. So, so <laughs> continuous glucose monitors. These, you guys, these are so cool. I would love put in the chat if you've used them already in your clinics, um, and how comfortable you feel with them. So hopefully you guys are feeling comfortable, but, um, so the, the continuous glucose monitor, how it works is let me get my little pointer. Oh, good. It works. So this is the wearable device. This is a, this is a Maltese, I believe, or is it a Bichon? Could be a Bichon. I can't remember. It's it looks like it could be a little round, like a Bichon. 
<laughs> right? And the like crazy fur. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so what happens is um, there's this tiny stylet that goes down and pre- places a microfilament underneath the skin into the interstitial space. Um, and that, once that filament, it's a, a little electric or well, it's, it can conduct electrical activity. So what happens is um, the, this is, it's so cool actually how this works. So the, the glucose that is floating around in the interstitial space um, has an enzymatic reaction on that microfilament. And that creates an electrical charge and a signal that goes up into the sensor and gets interpreted. There's like a little microchip and a little tiny computer in there, which is really cool. The big thing about that to remember though is, and we'll talk about this in just a second, is this is interstitial glucose. This is not blood glucose. Um, And the, the filament that's reading that interstitial fluid, depending on the brands, it reads it every five to 15 minutes um, and then transmits that information to the sensor that's attached to the skin. The sensor stores that, that glucose number just like a glucometer would. Um, and then we have a reader that we would scan it and it uploads that information from the sensor into the reader, kind of like what we think of with our traditional glucometer, but it's two separate units instead of the one. So what are we reading? Um, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Do you Uh, want me to go with this one? I'm kind of throwing you into that. I know. I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Notes. I could do this. It's totally fine. Cause I, I made these slides. So Jordan's kind of off the hook. (laughs) So, uh, it's reading the, the interstitial fluid. So the big thing that people have to remember is blood glucose versus interstitial fluid, they can be different numbers. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is if you have a normally hydrated patient, so, um, you know, we just, this, this is why we don't use them on our DKAs right away. So, so bear with me. Um, so what happens is in a normally hydrated patient, you have your blood and glucose and stuff that crosses over the um, vessel of your, the blood vessel, right? And it kind of, um, it, because you're normally hydrated, it'll pass through super easily and no issues. Once you have a dehydrated patient, you have less interstitial fluid. So the reason that patient is dehydrated is a number of reasons, but if they're dehydrated, that means that that, that fluid's not crossing over as well. So you're actually going to have less accurate readings of your glucose. So, um, like when you have a DKA, that's kind of our, the one that we think of kind of immediately when we think of a dehydrated diabetic, um, we need to do fluid resuscitation first get them nice and hydrated so that that way the interstitial glucose can equilibrate, um, with the blood glucose. And it typically takes about five minutes for blood glucose and the interstitial fluid to have the same level of glucose in there. Um, so it's just, it's just one of those things. So a high, a dehydrated patient is going to take longer. It's going to be a little bit less accurate. 
So it's just one thing to kind of keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So again, glucose can found in your blood, which is what we typically are looking at when we're talking about like a blood glucose curve or the interstitial fluid. Um, just another kind of weird thing out there. Um, there have been some reports that, um, in hypoglycemic patients, so patients with low blood glucose, um, that it'll read low on the sensor. Um, so below 40 milligrams per deciliter. So below 40 for several hours, but the patients don't appear hypoglycemic. We don't really know why that is yet. I mean, there's some thought behind it, but they need to do further research on that. Um, and, and again, it's, it, using a freestyle Libre and some of these other ones are definitely, um, it's definitely newer in veterinary medicine. So, um, again, a little bit more information, but we'll get there. (laughs) Oops. This is the same thing that we were doing. I thought this was pretty cool. Um, I do remember (laughs) reading about this, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but this was actually one of the first continuous glucose monitors on the market. And it's kind of amazing to see, cause this was back in 2012. Um, and so to see how far we've come just in a m- matter of a few years, this device was, um, surgically implanted and it had to be calibrated at least three times a day. Um, and it could only be worn for a maximum amount of three days, which is crazy to me. They weren't mm-hmm. wireless. So you had to wear, well, you, the patient had to wear um, a <laughs> harness and be closely monitored because what dog is going to love to have that on them for three days. Um, so it's kind of no wonder why we always did the classic BG curves prior to the good old freestyle Libres and continuous glucose monitorings. Yeah. And I remember when I started working at my practice, we had this and it was like in the box, like covered with dust because yeah. no one wanted to use this thing. It was just, it was, yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. And now, and now today we have, uh, the wonderful freestyle Libre. Um, there are, (laughs) there are other continuous glucose monitors out there, but this one seems to be the go-to. It is not yet approved in the United States or Canada, I believe. Um, but it is approved for veterinary use over in the UK. Um, but it's coming. I think it'll be approved for veterinary use technically in the United States here soon, but this is Abbott's. Um, it's a 14 day system. It's easy and painless to place. Um, it doesn't require sedation or pain medications to, to give these patients, unless you have that fractious cat who wants to murder you (laughs) while you do it. Um, most patients aren't bothered by it once it's placed on and an e-collar or fabric cover is not generally required unless the patient just bites or scratches at the sensor. We took a sensor off on Friday that the cat had been chewing on and dad was like, it only worked for two days. We're like, "Mm, yeah. Um, It's got holes in it. It's fine. It has holes in it. Um, and then clients can use the compatible reader that's usually purchased. It's only purchased once, um, and used with any of the 14 day sensors, or they can use an app on their phone. Um, not recommended though, for our inpatients, just because we don't want multiple people (laughs) carrying someone else's phone around. Just leave your Um, phone with your cat. It's fine. (laughs) No big deal. Um, the sensor itself does store about eight hours of data and it must be read a minimum of three times a day just to upload all that data over a 24 hour period. But 
it stores those, the reader itself stores those numbers for 30 days or 90 days, sorry. Um, and it, it can be uploaded to a software where the phone app automatically uploads results. So I, I think it's pretty intuitive. It's pretty interesting how easily it is able to store those numbers for us yeah. and how easily it is for us to get those numbers. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, sorry, clicked out to talk in the chat. Um, so this is just an example of what it looks like. So the sensor, this, this is a Husky. And the crazy thing is, um, we didn't do a huge shave spot. Um, we just did enough for the sensor itself to stick. And then once we let go of the fur, it almost it's like gone. <laughs> looked like he didn't have it on him. It was pretty cool. Um, and then the reader, this is the handheld reader. Um, and so again, you're just scanning it every eight hours. So the big thing for that is just reminding your clients. I usually tell them right before you go to bed or right as you're falling asleep, scan it, just make sure they connect up. And then as soon as you wake up in the morning, just scan it. Um, just so, um, you don't lose that last little bit of information right after you go to bed, the last scan. Cause it kind of, um, it'll, it'll drop the oldest data. And so sometimes you'll have like a little gap, but as long as they're doing it right at bedtime. And then as soon as they wake up, even if you miss like a half an hour, you can usually see what that curve looks like. And it's not, um, it's not a big, big problem. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also, so kind of leading into application, um, there's application instructions are available in the resource section of the membership site for you to download. Um, however, prior to application it is best to gather all your supplies. I like to grab scrub and alcohol clippers, um, and then the 14 day sensor as well. And it's also important to confirm that you have the correct sensor and readers just for the purpose of this lecture, we're talking about the 14 day sensor and the 14 day system. Um, they used to have a 10 day sensor. The 14 day reader does not work for the 10 day sensor. I think they're removing the 10 day sensors from the market though. Now that they yeah, have I think day. the 10 day is going away, but there's also the Freestyle Libre 2. Yep. Which also, which is the work. newest edition. Do not mix and match. They, they will not, they don't work together. They do not play well with others of the, of a similar name. Found <laughs> 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 that out the hard way. <laughs> so some supplies that's needed is um, clippers, like I said, alcohol or gauze pad. I like to use a little bit of like um, tissue glue or like adhesive barrier wipes um, and then the 14 day sensor itself and then either your 14 day reader or a cell phone um, with the appropriate app but again not recommended in our patients that we're planning on hospitalizing and then hemostats too just to help remove the application device um, where you can grab the little fabric part and help pull it down from the applicator I have itself. Fat fingers compared to Jordan so I use the hemostat <laughs> <laughs> I use the curved hemostat so yeah it works well. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is the Husky. So you're sure you're shaving a small area, a one and a half by one and a half inch square. Um, and it can be in, in a lot of places. Um, the shoulder or the neck area tends to work pretty well, like bigger dogs. They have a lot of muscle in their neck, so it's totally fine to go there because the, 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 um, the little stylet and the little, uh, microfilament are pretty short. It's about a quarter of an inch long. So, you, you know, it's not, 
it's not horrible. And, you know, most of the times that's just sub Q tissue. You could do a lateral thigh area. Um, I've seen it actually placed like almost like inguinal, like flank area. So mm -hmm. you can put it in a wide variety of places as long as you don't have a lot of bony protuberances. So shoulder blades, hips, those kinds of things, because if, if the stylet itself hits the bone, it can bend the stylet because it's a tiny stylet. You're, you're talking like 27 think, gauge, maybe I was going to say 25 gauge, 27 gauge needle. Like that's, that's the size of the stylet. So if it does hit a bone, it can bend. And then you're not going to be able to, um, to, to remove the, the, um, applicator from the patient without having to replace it. So, so skin prep, so just alcohol and most of the freestyle, uh, sensors come with the alcohol pad and you can just use that. Mm -hmm. Um, Jordan has a video and I'm hoping I can get it to play when we're done with, with everything, um, where she uses like chlorhexy, especially if you've got a patient with nasty skin, it's Which, not yeah. a bad idea <laughs> to just like Those, clean it. Them dirty dogs. <laughs> Plus it's just, it's just my habit. I'm just a yeah. neurotic person. Yeah. But I mean, if you've got like a Husky, that's not super dirty, you just use the alcohol that'll clean it. It gets the, the skin oils off of there too, which helps with adhesion. Um, and so you just, you know, clean it, don't over scrub it, but clean it and make it, and, um, and so it'll stick. there's no way dirt can get down to their skin. <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I love using skin tack, um, skin tack. It looks like the, the pads themselves look like an alcohol pad, but it's just, um, this liquid, um, adhesive stuff. It's really cool. Um, we use it in our clinic for our Holter monitors, which is how I found out about them. And we've used them with our, um, freestyle Libres and, and it's just great. Most of ours will last the full two weeks with this stuff, which is awesome. Um, and when it's actually time to remove it, it's, it's much easier to remove it because, um, adhesive removal will work on this. So I wipe the skin where the sensor is going to be applied, um, and then kind of wait for it to become tacky. So 30 to 60 seconds, and I'll do the, the waving <laughs> of my hand to just kind of air it off a little bit. Um, and the cool thing is this stuff can be purchased through diabetic supply stores or even Amazon. And I think when I looked at it, like a box of 50 was 20, $25, something along those lines. So you're not talking anything super crazy expensive, but the, the benefit just is really awesome. So, um, you know, check that out if you're doing a lot of these and, and you want some, some help getting it to stick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then preparing the sensor too. So typically there's two parts to the applicator. Um, there's the sensor applicator and then the sensor pack, you have to line up the marks on these, as you can see in the second image there, um, on both pieces, and then on a hard surface, firmly pressed down until the applicator comes to a stop. This load, what that does is it loads the sensor into the applicator. Yeah. And if you look at this picture, um, this is the adhesive pad. And then this little triangular piece, that is where the stylet is. And that's kind of where the microfilament sits in. So this is what gets loaded into the sensor or into the applicator, excuse me. 
Yeah. And what I do too, once I'm at this stage is I'll apply two to three drops of just tissue glue, just for a little extra adhesive to the skin, just to, um, make sure that it sticks, but it's just important to avoid the center. You don't want to get any glue on the, on the filament part. Yeah. So this is, this is the part that you avoid. Do not put skin glue here. It won't, it, it won't work. So don't do it. And then you're going to just um, gently press down on the prepped skin. Um, try not to get any hair in it just cause it sticks a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. and then the applicator itself will come like uh, compress in on itself. And then, um, the gray outer package is the only part that's going to be seen. And there is like a noticeable audible click, um, or like a spring noise as the silet is pulled back into the applicator after successful application. And then just kind of a note, if a patient has a low body condition score or muscle condition score, again, we just want to avoid those areas that are close to bones just to avoid bending the, the tip there. Yeah. And, and I've done that. Unfortunately, I had a really, um, emaciated cat, um, and we hit the shoulder blade and the cat actually didn't care. Like it's, it doesn't, he didn't seem to think that it hurt. Um, it just was really, it, it was irritating because it bent enough that I couldn't remove the applicator from the, from the actual sensor itself. So I had to like, kind of take all of it off. And, and because of that, I think there was also a little bit of like a tiny laceration in the skin. Like it wasn't huge, but I could definitely tell that that wasn't normal. Um, so just, just be aware of that. And then the problem is because it's not FDA approved for veterinary use, it's not, the manufacturer won't guarantee it. So whereas with humans, if that happens, they get a free one replaced, but with, with veterinary patients, they don't, unfortunately, which is a bummer. And then if you've got fat fingers, like I do, <laughs> you're going to gently remove the applicator, um, from the sensor. And, and you want to do this kind of slowly just to make sure that you're not pulling the sensor with the applicator. And this is when I use a little curved hemostat and I kind of hold on to the fabric, the, the little sensor fabric, which is where the adhesive is. And then grasp that just so it can pull away. Um, and there shouldn't be a ton of resistance. There's going to be a little bit of resistance, but it shouldn't, you shouldn't have trouble removing it from the patient. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, it's up to you how you want to do this, but sorry, this isn't obviously a used one. So it's a dirty, um, but you want to make sure that the edges of the adhesive pad is stuck to the patient. So I, that's part of the reason why I like the, um, hemostat curve is I just, um, go around it using that curved edge and just make sure that's pressed down all the way. I know in Jordan's video, she'll, she'll show you, she puts like a little dab of glue on the outside. I don't just because I use the skin tack, I think. Um, mm -hmm. so whatever it is that helps, you know, get it on the skin and stay. Cause again, dog and cat skin is different than people skin. <laughs> so we just have to use a little extra adhesive compared to with people. So this is, um, this is what it would look like when you have a failure basically of the, the filament, um, doing what it's supposed to do. So what happened with this particular one, I think the stylet did bend just a little bit 
and the microfilament that's supposed to go under the skin came back with the stylet and, and pulled out here. The problem is without having the microfilament in the patient, it's not going to read it. Um, so if you see the filament sticking out here, you're not going to, it's not going to calibrate. It's not going to do what it needs to do. And you're going to have to replace it. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, if you do see that, it's just a good idea. Just, just replace it. Unfortunately, um, there's, there's not really a better way to do it. <laughs> there's no way to fix it. No. <laughs> just and then do a new one. And then this part's the easy part. You just kind of take your sensor or your reader or your cell phone and go ahead and scan the sensor. It'll say, it'll pop up with a um, scan new sensor to activate. Um, and then once you scan the device, it takes about, it starts the 60 minute calibration time. Yeah. Which will and occasionally is... also say like after 60 minutes, if for some reason it's not placed right, um, sometimes it'll say rescan in 10 minutes. Um, kind of thing, but it, it's really nice because it gives you a nice little countdown too. So you can scan it after 20 minutes and see how much time you have left and it'll tell you. Um, but occasionally I've had a couple of times where it takes a little bit longer and it'll tell me to rescan in five to 10 minutes. Yeah. And most of the times you're okay at that point, but if you, if after 60 minutes, it's not like you're not getting numbers and, and you've scanned it a couple of times and you're still not getting numbers, it probably um, it, it's probably a failure application. And so you're just probably going to have to put a new one. So that's just something to warn clients about, um, and just be like, Hey, if you notice any issues, just let us know. And, and, you know, whatever your, whatever your clinic's policy is, um, just follow that with, with placing a new one. Aww. <laughs> I know this is my cat. He, he did not have a freestyle eBay, but I pretended he did. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, cat, I mean, honestly, that. yeah, no, <laughs> he hated it. Um, I mean, honestly, like you just want to protect the sensor. And like we said, like most of the times our patients don't even care that it's on them. Once it's on them, they, they don't mind every once in a while, you're going to have pets that are going to scratch at it because it's like something's on them and they just don't like it or they're going to rub up on something trying to scratch it off. Um, the one that I had, it came off a little bit early because you could tell like the dog was, I think it was a cat. The cat was scratching at it. There's scratches all over the sensor. But again, most of the times nobody's, they, they just leave it alone, but you can use an e-collar. In this case, you could do like a, you can do a fabric one. If it, if it's placed on the shoulder, a fabric one could be fine to keep them from licking at it at it. If that's what they're doing. Um, if they're scratching at it, you can use like a, um, like a baby onesie, um, or a t-shirt depending on, you know, if it's a dog. Um, so just, you know, protect it and, and let the owners know that that's an option. They do make freestyle sensor covers that you can get. I think Amazon has them. It looks like a bandaid mm -hmm. that goes over it. It's, it's made for humans, especially people that are, um, athletic and they're in the water a lot. Um, I haven't tried it on veterinary patients just because most of the times they don't take daily showers. Um, and we just haven't had a need to, but mm -hmm. there may be occasions where you might want to try it. Um, just let the owner know that again, it's designed for people. So we're not sure how well it will help. That is a good point to touch on though. These devices are 
waterproof to a certain extent. I mean, like if a dog's mm-hmm. going to go swimming every day, it's more like <laughs> more than likely going to just remove the adhesive versus actually making the sensor not work. But yeah, it's made for humans who take showers every day. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had clients ask me if it'll be all right in the rain and she had a like rain jacket on her dog and I was like, Aww. it'll be fine. I promise. <laughs> That's so cute. Um, so that kind of brings us to the client education portion of this. <laughs> so some of the things that clients need to know, um, this is a huge thing. Do yeah. not adjust insulin without veterinarian recommendation. Um, it's really important for us to explain to clients that animal glucose numbers are very different to human glucose numbers in human medicine. They want a very, very narrow range of consistent blood glucose. They don't want a curve. They want it to be very flat kind of in the 120 range. Um, so they use long acting and short acting insulin. A lot of times, if you've got someone who's, who's on insulin in veterinary medicine, we don't do that. Um, we are okay with curves. You guys have seen the curves, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's just really important to explain to clients that if they see a high number, that's okay. We expect it. Um, so they should see a curve. Uh, so if, if they're seeing, cause I think the freestyle Libre goes up to 500. So I tell clients as long as it doesn't just stay at 500 pegged the whole time and it comes down and we see numbers below that we're okay with it. Um, we can adjust it in, you know, a few days because we want to see what the body is going to do with the insulin dose, especially if it's a new dose. Um, and in the book that comes with the Freestyle Libre, there's a whole section for people on how to adjust insulin. And you just need to make sure clients know not to follow that. So do not adjust insulin without veterinary recommendation. Glucose ranges that are okay for pets. So talk to your doctor um, and see what they feel comfortable with. Typically in our clinic, we say anything above 100 to 120 on the low end of our glucose and then upper, we say four to 500 is totally fine. Um, there may be specific, you know, numbers that, um, somebody's looking at for a specific pet, but you know, under a hundred, we do get concerned. We want to know about it. Um, but you know, have that, that number in mind that the doctor's okay with for that patient. And just remember (laughs) For now, freestyle Libres are not FDA approved in animals, so they, they just need to be aware of that. So if it falls off, um, the, Abbott's not going to replace it for them. And because it's not made for animals, it's very possible for it to fall off, the sensor to fall off or stop working prior to the 14 days. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where depending on what your clinic um, recommends, is, you know, or whether your clinic feels comfortable with, um, you know, whether you're going to replace it for free or 
a discount, you know, be if at a range. I know in my clinic, if it falls off within like the first two days of application, we'll just place a new one for free or discounted. Um, if it's anywhere after seven days, we call it successful. <laughs> um, so it just, it just kind of depends on the patient. Um, and the sensor can be removed at home or in the clinic. Um, the sensor adhesive or, or the adhesive sometimes does need to be removed with um, adhesive remover, but, you know, um, or you could just let it fall off because eventually it will fall off. And sometimes too, I think it's also important to inform clients that it can cause a little bit of skin irritation as well mm -hmm. um, after removal. I've had clients be a little upset about that. So I try to tell them before yeah. I put it on and <laughs> just to let them know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a couple of things that we already kind of touched on is you must scan or tell clients that they must scan it a minimum of every eight hours. Um, a lot of my clients, I'm not sure about you, Yvonne, scan it like every 30 minutes and let me know yeah. about and I every four to six hours. <laughs> yeah. And I tell clients it's fine to scan it more often, but you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's a minimum of every eight hours. If you want to do more frequently because you're neurotic. Yeah. I, I get that a lot. We have a lot of people who <laughs> yeah. scan it super frequently and then email super frequently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, you can tell the clients to create a LibReview account and that will link results. Um, so it's kind of easy shoot over an email with the results, um, to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, you can link the, the clinic LibReview account number two. So that way it can, the doctor it, themselves can also log in and look up what the numbers are for their patients are running. This is like a huge one, huge yeah. Tell the client what to expect as far as when is the doctor going to give the interpretation? Yep. Um, <laughs> because they will do what they do to Jordan. Um, and they email or they call multiple times in a day. And so if you have that conversation ahead of time, it can help minimize that. <laughs> I don't think it ever truly gets rid of it. Um, but I, I think it's very realistic for clients to understand the doctor's only going to communicate with them so many times, especially if things are going well. Um, and then, you know, if they have concerns, they can give us a call. But, you know, we usually tell our clients, you know, we're going to, at the end of the 14 days, we're definitely going to talk to you. If there's anything in between the doctor sees that they want to talk to you about, they may but, you know, it may be that in a week they'll talk to you and then the end of two weeks um, and kind of to go in line with that. We didn't I didn't really put this on on here, but it's definitely worth mentioning. You guys should be charging for the client or for the veterinary interpretation fee. Um, so, you know. It's really important to make sure because this is going to be time intensive you should come up as a clinic, a standard charge for the veterinarian to interpret that and spend the time with the client because they should be getting paid for, um, their time. So. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, so when we're creating a client handout, because again, it's, it's about that communication. Some of the things that you should have in here is going to be, um, the basic information about Freestyle Libre. So just tell them what it is, how it works. 
um, expectations, like how long should it, is it, you know, going to stay on them? Um, when's the doctor going to call them? When's the technician going to call them? Um, how to use the sensor and the reader and then how to link to the LibreView. So having all that in like a handout that you can either email to them or print it out and give it to them is a great thing. And um, <clears throat> I created one of those for, for my clients. Um, and if you're in the membership, you can definitely download it. You can change it if you need to for your clients, um, but it is very generic um, and has some of that basic information. So if you want and you're in the membership, just go ahead and download, download that and use it. Um, you're, you're more than welcome to. Do you guys use the LibreView account at your clinic we, too? We don't. And like when I was reading through these notes earlier, <laughs> I was like texting my other friend and I was like, we need to do this because <laughs> us getting the 17 emails a day was just like hand typed. Yeah. Like I, I had a feeling because you've never mentioned it before. I was like, I should probably talk about this. No, so I took a the picture LibreView, of it. I sent it to my work. Yeah. The LibreView account is amazing. Um, you create a practice account on LibreView.com. And this is where you or the doctors can go to view those results. And the great thing is you don't have to rely on the clients <laughs> to give you that information. You can just look it up, which is why we tell, which is one of the reasons we give our, our clients expectations when we're going to contact them with those results, because the doctor will be kind of monitored because our doctors get neurotic and they look at this like multiple times a day. Cause they're like, what's fluffy doing at home? but they can see it. So if the doctor notices an issue, the doctor will call. If the doctor doesn't call you, most likely it's, it's fine. And they'll call you at the end of the curve. So, um, this is a really good way to do that. So once you've signed up, it's very easy to sign up. You just follow directions. I promise it's super easy. Um, what you do is you go into the account or you go into this website, um, and you're going to load, uh, upload the patient, so you have the sensor, you have the cord that comes to it, you plug it in, it uploads to it, just like a client would do exactly like a client would do. And so they can bring it to their appointments. Um, we've had like, especially like our older clients that just don't know how to do it themselves, or they don't have a computer or whatever, they'll bring it with them and we'll upload them. We also upload it for our hospitalized patients so that we can see it and um, put it in the medical record. And this is kind of what it looks like. So um, in there, there's, there's a PDF that you can download. We usually will look at the daily log. And the cool thing about the daily log is you can see every time they've scanned it. So where they've scanned it on this one, I think is the numbers. This particular patient is kind of bad because it, it just stayed above 400 the whole time. It actually never dropped below. But if it were to drop below, you would see like this little curve on here. Um, I'll have to get a different image that actually has a curve. I didn't realize this one didn't. Um, and then they actually put like when they gave the insulin, when this cat got food. Um, so it's, it's nice because you can see all of that. Now, the cool thing is you can download this and then upload it into your medical record, which is super cool. When you're logged into this, um, you would find your practice ID kind of over here in the settings menu, and then you can give the practice number to, to your clients. Um, and I believe, do I have, 
I think the handout includes a little bit of information about the practice login, but honestly, like just follow the directions on there and usually you'll be totally good. Um, so we talked about how the, the continuous glucose monitor works. We talked about application techniques and mm -hmm. some client communication. So there was a cool question. Um, sorry, Nanka, I, I did see it earlier. I just didn't type it quick enough because I'm, I'm slow. Um, she had asked if there was different sizes for the continuous glucose monitors. Um, <clears throat> and I have not seen different sizes. I know freestyle is specifically for people. So unfortunately they just have the one size. Um, you would ask specifically if it can be used in rats and mice. And I have no idea. Um, cause unfortunately it's, you know, it's not FDA approved for animals. So that's, that's part of the issue for that. That's a good question though. Yeah. I was like, Oh, when you're logged into this, um, you would find your practice ID kind of over here in the settings menu, and then you can give the practice number to, to your clients. Um, and I believe, do I have. I think the handout includes a little bit of information about the practice login, but honestly, like just follow the directions on there and usually you'll be totally good. Um, so we talked about how the, the continuous glucose monitor works. We talked about application techniques and some client communication. So there was a cool question. Um, sorry, Nanka, I, I did see it earlier. I just didn't type it quick enough because I'm, I'm slow. Um, she had asked if there was different sizes for the continuous glucose monitors. Um, and I, I hope have that not you enjoyed different sizes. I know freestyle presentation about for people. So unfortunately they just have the one size, you a little bit of insight um, for you would ask specifically if it can be used in rats with. and mice. And I have and, no um, idea. Thank you for um, listening unfortunately, this week. It's, and uh, I hope it's you not keep FDA getting for animals, your learn on. So that's, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. That's a good question though. Yeah. I was like, oh. I hope that you enjoyed that presentation about continuous glucose monitors. Hope that gives you a little bit of insight for some stuff you can maybe use it in your clinic with. And um, thank you for listening this week. And uh, I hope you keep getting your learn on. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.